Well, what's up, fam? How you doing today? Oh, come on. You can do way better than that. Come on. How you doing today? Yes. Oh, I love you guys. Well, uh, normally you guys have heard me say this before. I, I get nervous when I have to present on Sundays, um, but I'm even more nervous now because there's some special people in the room and I just want to point our attention to them. Kent and Leanne, would you guys please stand for us real quick? Just please stand real quick. These are uh, some of our denominational leaders right here in Idaho. So I was nervous already and now I'm like, great. Now I'm speaking to like my leaders. So this is wonderful. Like I'm so excited to do this today right now. Uh, but no, hey, thank you guys for being here today, being a part of our, uh, our church service this morning. You're very welcome here. So thanks for taking the time to be with us. And uh, again, I just like to remind myself, um, man, I, I feel like I'm the least deserving, uh, the most unworthy to be up here. I was the teenager getting yelled at by the pastor during his sermons uh, on Sunday mornings to stop talking. And now I'm told to do nothing but talk on Sunday morning. So I'm very appreciative of that and just the opportunity to share with you guys today that we have an amazing lead pastor who opens his pulpit to his staff and to his friends. And so uh, this young gun me, I'm really pumped and really excited about who our pastor is. And so I'm very thankful for Pastor Stan and Chris. And I hope they're not watching right now because I do want them to detach, but I know them, they're probably watching right now. So we love you guys and hope you guys are enjoying the sand. Okay, and you're, you suck. Um, so uh, just kidding, just kidding. But no, so I have a, a whole lot to get through today. And so I could really do this in two parts, um, but Paul did it in one verse. So I think I can do it in one sermon. So I'm gonna do my absolute best, but we are gonna move quickly. But I promise to break it down so that even if this is your first time ever in church, I hope I can make it as relatable and simple as possible because we are gonna talk about a heavy subject. Everyone say heavy. Awesome. Yeah. So we are going to go a little heavy today, but I promise it's going to be well worth it. And I hope you really do get something out of this today. So we're going to dive right in. We're in Philippians chapter three and the portion we're reading today. I want you to keep this in your back pocket. Uh, two weeks ago, I, I spoke on uh, how to know God and knowing, having that relationship with him because Philippians 3.10 is a verse where Paul says, my determined purpose is that I may know him. And so I want you to keep that in your back pocket about knowing him and then about what we're going to talk about today, because it is vital that you know that piece of information as we move forward. It says this in verses 16 through 19, but we must hold on to the progress that we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite, and they brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Question for you this morning, does anybody have a, a vivid imagination? Like you can just, like your mind just like can go like, to the depths of like anything and you feel like it's totally real, right? Like I remember like being a kid and like I would have dreams about candy because that's what kids think about nonstop, right? And I would wake up and I would fully expect to be holding that pack of Bubblicious, right? And when I wake up, I would look at my hand, I go, I'm not gonna open it because I know the moment I open it, I'm gonna see reality and the, the pack of Bubblicious is not gonna be there, right? And I would, sure enough, I'd open my hand, I'd be super disappointed, five-year-old kid kicking and screaming that I don't have Bubblicious that was in my dream, right? But we have, we have vivid imaginations. Now when I get older, I don't dream about Bubblicious. I dream about like cutting off the head of a dragon, right? Any men with me on this? Like, like yes, like, I'd like, we have kids now, those pesky things running around the house, right? And so I, like, 
You're about to like cut off the head of the dragon with like the sword of Excalibur, right? You are like a pump. You're like, yes, I am an all things man. And right as you're about to cut off the head of the dragon, your kid like wakes you up, right? So it's terrible. It's a terrible feeling. Like you think it's so real because it feels so real. This is, this is what our minds can do. We have vivid imaginations. Maybe you know a time when you've had to have a tough conversation with someone because they're talking smack behind your back. And so you're like, I'm gonna go up to him and like push him and be like, yo, what's up, right? And so before you even have the conversation, you've already had like 15 conversations in your mind, right? Because why? You have a vivid imagination and it feels so real, so real and you're trying to figure out how hard you're gonna punch this person, right? So if you've been there, you, you can relate to what I'm talking about. It's a vivid imagination. And this is why, uh, not to get heavy from the beginning, but I told you to be heavy today. This is why mental health is such a huge, huge deal because for us who, who don't struggle with uh, something in, in mental health, uh, you instantly think, oh, well, this, this is a dream. It's not real. But someone who has poor mental health and are struggling through something, their dreams feel like reality and their reality feels like a dream. So, so our mind can play some major, major tricks on us sometimes. And, and if you're anything like me, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, not only can the mind, you know, play tricks on us, but the mind can also create desires within us. Again, the pack of Bubblicious, right? I start thinking about it and now what do I want as a kid? I want a pack of Bubblicious now. Your mind creates these desires. Let me, let me use this as an example. Uh, anybody, anybody in Netflix? Awesome. Netflixers in the house. Awesome. You guys are great people, right? So uh, there's a show that came out on Netflix and it's, uh, the, I think it's called the Great American Barbecue Showdown or I don't know, throw a bunch of adjectives before barbecue and call it good, right? So um, there's this, this, this thing going on on Netflix and I, I jumped into it. And I'm just saying, like, it was awesome. Like, it was incredible. I am, like, by no means, like, a barbecue pit master, but I will make a tri-tip that is tender as a mother's love, okay? Like, I will go there. I want the smoke. I want the barbecue. I want the sauces, right? But anyways, I started watching the show, and I got into it. Like, you can ask my wife. Like, I was like, Kristen, stop talking. Woman, silence in the presence of a man. Come on. Like, I'm trying to watch. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That is not how it works in my household, Okay? She's the boss. Okay, so anyway, so I, I was watching the show and what happened was that I started thinking about barbecue. Like I'd be here at the office just like hanging out, doing work, getting on with life. And all of a sudden I'm like, man, if I take some of that cumin and add it to the sauce, I wonder how that'll taste. Right? I'm, like, I'm like, dude, Stevie, come on, man, like focus. But why is this? It's because I allowed myself to think about it. I allowed myself to focus on it. And by focusing on it, by thinking about it, my desire to become Mr. Barbecue Pitmaster has arisen within me. And one day I hope to be on Netflix on the next show. I will lose drastically, but it'll be awesome. Like, yes, that'll be amazing. Like, I want to be like Mr. Barbecue now, right? Because why? Simply because I allowed myself to start focusing on it. And it created this desire within me to want to be a great barbecue guy. And, and, and that's not a bad thing, right? But sometimes our mind can take us somewhere we don't want to go. And we start to focus on that. And all of a sudden we have a desire to do what we know is wrong, but we want to engage in that activity now. Why? It's because we've allowed ourselves to think about it. We've allowed ourselves to get into it. I, I'm, I'm reading this book right now. It's by Craig O'Shell. It's his new book. It's an amazing, amazing book. I've been reading through it. And so some of the content that I'm gonna share today came from this book. Um, but it, it's simply about the battle that's going on in our mind. Think better is basically what the book is about. And he said this in chapter one. It says, your life is going to follow your strongest thoughts. And so I think about that and I go, that's extremely true. 
Wherever my strongest thoughts are, that is the life that I'm going to end up living. Whatever I'm thinking today, I'm going to say this later on, but your life right now is a culmination of the thoughts that you had yesterday. And your life is where you are because of the thoughts that you grew up having or that you've kept in your mind and the thoughts that you've, you've stayed with, the thoughts that you've allowed to meditate on, the thoughts that you've allowed yourself to hold on to. You are now the byproduct of those thoughts today. And this morning, I'm not trying to present anything new. I'm going to share exactly what Pastor Stan has been sharing from this pulpit for the past 24, 25 years on a life of holiness. And we're going to dive into this today. And like I said, I'm going to be as simple as I can. I'm not a smart guy by any means. So I want to make this as relatable as possible. And I'm going to really aim to do that. And as we look at what Paul is saying here in this portion of scripture, at first, when I read it, he says, there are those whose conduct who shows their enemies of the cross of Christ. And, and, and I started thinking about that. And I started realizing Paul isn't talking about people who are not Christians. He's talking about people who claim to be a Christian. He says their conduct is actually showing me that they really are enemies, not friends of Jesus. And so as we talk today, realize this, I am not talking about the unsaved neighbor next door. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about people who say, I follow Jesus. I believe in him. He is my Lord. He is my savior. But Paul is saying, hey, even those who claim that they have conduct that is unbecoming of a follower of Jesus. And their conduct shows me instead of being his friend, Philippians 3.10, my determined purpose is to know him. They're instead showing me that they are his enemy. I don't know about you, but I want to be his friend. I do not want to be on the opposite side of God because I know what happens to the devil. And that is not an outcome that I am interested in. I don't want the lake of fire. I don't want to be in hell. I want to have the reward of eternal life with him. Amen. And to get there, I need to be his friend. And so Paul is addressing this church in the city of Philippi. And he's saying, hey, there's Christians among you. And their conduct is unbecoming of what it should be. And he goes on and he really talks about their mind and the Christians call to holiness. That's really what he's talking about. He doesn't say those words, but if you study out these scriptures, he's talking about your thoughts and your call to a holy life. And I, I grew up, I want to break this down for a minute. I grew up in a home that was pretty legalistic. Uh, I grew up and, and it was like, hey, you do not listen to secular music. Blink-182, Beastie Boys, no way, Jose. They, you are not bumping them when you're outside on your skateboard. It is not happening. You do not listen to secular music whatsoever, right? And so I had to obey the rules and I had to make sure I didn't listen to secular music when my parents weren't around. And so, right, we all, who's, who's, you, don't raise your hand. I'm not trying to call you out, <laughs> But we, we've all been there and it's like, hey, like, you know, and there was this rule. And so I grew up thinking that, okay, I, I can't listen to secular music because that's going to make me holy. Uh, another thing, I remember our church went on a boycott, right? Because nothing says, you know, as Christians, boycott something to show that we really don't understand what we're talking about. And so we had a boycott Disney. And so I grew up and so like, I remember one day we came home from church, a guest speaker came in and he was like, Disney's of the devil. I'm like, dude, what's wrong with Fox and the Hound? Like, seriously, like, come on, man. This is a great, great show. Great show, right? Teaches you how to be a friend, someone who's not like you. This is wonderful. And so anyways, I came home from church that day and my stepdad is over the trash can breaking. The, we had these things back in the day called VCRs and, and VHS tapes, right? <laughs> right? And so we, we and kids are like, what's a VCR? So we, we would break, he was breaking these, these videos and breaking our games and breaking all these things that had anything to do with Disney. And I was like, what in the world is going on here? But what I learned from that is, oh, because we don't engage in Disney anymore, I, I'm, I'm now a more holy Christian. 
And that's what I took it to mean. When in reality, that was the furthest thing from the truth. See, I'm going to say this probably later on anyways, but I just like to think that Jesus was more interested in me than he was in behavior modification. I I think Jesus died not just so that I could, you know, change my habits, but he he could love me and invite me into his kingdom. I I like to think that that's who God is, (laughs) that, that, that he loves me first and he worries about the other stuff later. Right. And, and so as I, as I grew up, I had this false thought about what it was to live a holy life. And, and, and as I got older, I kind of grew from that. So let me explain it this way with a little analogy. Um, let's say you're at a circus, right? And you see a mom and she's standing there with her little son, Johnny. Okay. Everyone loves Johnny, right? Johnny's a great kid, right? And Johnny is standing there and he's enjoying the circus. It's all wonderful. And then all of a sudden they come over to the bull right? And this bull is inside of this cage. It's got a fence around it and it's massive, just a hunk of a chunk of a bull, right? I mean, huge horns. And it's like Johnny is blown away by the size of this bull, right? And so what does any six-year-old little boy, Johnny want to do? He wants to touch the bull. Heck yeah. Put me on the bull. Eight seconds. You got it, cowboy. Let's go, right? Like Johnny will embrace touching the bull. But the problem is that there's a gate or a fence around this bull. And so while they're sitting there looking at the bull, Johnny's mom is like, Johnny, don't touch the bull. Don't try to get in there. What does Johnny do? He's going to try to get in. She says, don't go over it. So what does he do? He tries to go under it, right? He's obeying, right? So he goes under the fence and tries to get in to touch the bull. His mom is notices and you know, Johnny's giving him a little whack on the hip. And is like, don't do that. The bull's going to kill you. But Johnny wants to touch the bull. He wants to feel it. He wants to see how big and strong it is. He wants to get in there. And so the mom, you know, she gets distracted. She's probably on Instagram or something. I don't know, right? Making a story with a filter, right? So, <clears throat> right? We, we've all been there. Don't, don't act like you don't do it, okay? So she, she's sitting there. She gets distracted. And so little Johnny starts to, you know, again, he starts to put his foot inside, gets a little further. His mom gets off the story for long enough to realize Johnny is getting in the cage So what does she do? She grabs Johnny. She's a little more firm this time. This is number two. She's like, Johnny, knock it off. Don't touch there. Don't don't try to get in there with that bull, right? The mom's trying to protect her son. She's being a good mom, except for the whole Instagram thing, right? So sure enough, what happens? Johnny, he wants to get in there. He's going to touch the bull. And so sure enough, he starts crawling through again a little faster this time. He knows he's got to move quick because mom's quick too, right? And so, but the mom notices, she grabs and pulls away. And then eventually she just grabs and says, okay, we're leaving here, right? A lot of the times we sometimes think that we're the bull. We think that we're trapped, that God has given us this life. And he says, here's what you can do. This is it. This far you can go and that's it. No, we're Johnny. We have the whole circus to go enjoy. We have everything that our freedom, the only one that's trapped is the bull. So what is the bull? The bull is sin. The bull represents what really is trapped. It has no future. It has no hope. It is death. It is contained. It has been solidified that way by Jesus Christ. But sometimes we think we're the bull and we think, man, I'm trapped. I followed Jesus and now I can't have any fun. No, you have a whole circus to go enjoy. You have been given freedom. You have been given life. It is yours for the taking. But we focus in on this tiny little area and we think it's all right here. This is all I get. Man, this is stupid, man. This is dumb. I gave up so much. This is boring. No, if your life with Jesus is boring, you are not following the right Jesus. He gave you a life of freedom. You have been given this freedom. It is yours for the taking. 
What happened here was that mom had to remove the desire by removing Johnny from the situation. And then Johnny went on the Ferris wheel and it was all good, right? But we have a whole circus to go enjoy. We are not trapped in some cage. Sin is trapped. You are free. You've been given that. Let me prove it to you. Colossians chapter two, verse 23, 23, sorry. It says, these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion and pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline, but they, the rules, provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. You see, to conquer a sin that we are struggling with, we've got to create a new desire. We've got to not just stop thinking about the temptation, we've got to remove the temptation altogether. We need to find a new desire. Look, look at the Old Testament. It is full of rules and sin was everywhere. They had a million rules. Read through Leviticus, read through Exodus, read through Deuteronomy. It's just rules and rules and rules and rules and rules over and over again. And just as much as there were rules, there was a whole lot more sin. The rules did nothing to stop the Israelites from sinning. What do we think a rule is going to do for us as a Christian when it comes to stop sinning? A rule will not handle it. Just tell a kid not to touch the cookie jar. Within three seconds, his hand is going to be elbow deep, grabbing as many chocolate chips as he can. He wants the chocolate chips. You want the chocolate chips. A rule is not going to stop it. Let me use this example, right? Maybe you want to get healthy and you want to get in the gym. You want to lose some weight, right? I, I, I turned 30 a couple years ago. <laughs> Look, I'm just going to be real. Like 28, 29, 25, man, I'd eat like 17 Big Macs. I'd be like, yo, what's up? Like your boy's good. Didn't gain a pound. I was like the same weight since high school, right? I was like, yeah, this is awesome. This is wonderful. I saying, I turned 30 a couple years ago. I it's all downhill from there because I don't know, like your boys put on a couple extra around the midsection. You know what I'm saying? Like a little embarrassing, but it's okay. Right. My wife still loves me. At least she says it. Right. So, <clears throat> but, but the reality is that, Hey, I, 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 I need to take advantage of this. And I say, Hey, you know what? I need to be determined in this. And I need to, I need to get in the gym. And I even got a consultation this week. Okay. Your boy's not playing games. Okay. And I, I know I like, hey, I got to take care of this. I, I need to change my diet. Right. I need to get healthy. I need to get in the gym. But it started with a thought of, hey, I need to get healthy. Because let's be real here. It's 11 o'clock at night and your boy gets hungry. I'm not thinking about a carrot. No, give me a Twinkie. Okay. I want that Twinkie so bad. Right. And as I eat the Twinkie, I pray, God, turn it into a carrot on the way down. Like do something miraculous, Lord. You've done it before. You can do it again. Yes. You know, it doesn't happen. Right. My desire is not for a carrot. Right. I don't know a single person in this world who loves their diet. Right? They're so excited. Like, I can't wait to wake up in the morning and have my carrot. If that's you, you are weird. I'm just kidding. But for real, like we have to change our desire. I've never craved a carrot before in my life. Until all of a sudden I started thinking I want to be healthy. And I go, you know, I, I need to watch, watch what I eat. I probably shouldn't eat 17 Big Macs with extra sauce. I need to cut back. 16 Big Macs is enough. I'm just kidding. Right? But I need, I need to pull this thing back. And I need to create a healthy desire within me. So instead of thinking, oh man, I'm hungry. I need a Twinkie. No, I'm hungry. I need sustenance. I need celery. I need a carrot. I need a salad. I need bacon and ham. And I'm just kidding, right? We have to create that desire within us if we want to have a healthy life. The same is true if I want to be healthy spiritually. I have to create the desire within me to say, you know what? I need Jesus, I need him more, and I want to grow in that, so I'm going to create a desire by focusing my mind on him, by focusing my thoughts on his word and in prayer and, and taking this to a deeper meaning and saying, I'm following you, Jesus. 
I'm doing this thing. I'm going to create healthy desires within me. And so, like I said, growing up, it was don't do this. And now you're living a holy life. No, I need to create a desire within me to live a holy life. And the byproduct of that is that my conduct will follow suit is that I will begin to do this. Let me explain it to you this way. In Isaiah chapter six, I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but in Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah, the prophet is standing there and all of a sudden he has a glimpse, a vision into the throne room of God. How amazing would that be? And while he's standing there, just to skip forward a little bit, he sees angels that are circling the throne of God. They're flying, running, Pentecostal running, whatever it may be, right? And they're running around the throne room and they are screaming at the top of their lungs, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, as as I look at this scripture, they aren't running around or flying around screaming, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. They aren't running around screaming, worthy, worthy, worthy. Now, is God beautiful and is he worthy? Absolutely. Absolutely. But they are sitting there in the throne room of heaven, shouting God's defining characteristic, his holiness. And they are so pumped and so excited that God is holy. And they're doing it so loud. They are worshiping so loud that the doorpost and the thresholds to the building of the throne room of God are shaking. So until our worship shakes those doors, I will not turn it down. Okay, I'm just kidding, right? But they are, they are pumped and they are excited. That's how loud they are expressing this. They are defining God by his holiness. He is worthy. He is beautiful. He is amazing, but he's holy. And so I want to break this down on what is it to be holy? Okay, so I have a little help with this. Holiness means this. It means this, to be set apart. Holiness means to be set apart. Let me, let me explain it to you this way. Pastor Stan uses props, so I figured I would too, right? Because he's cool. So this is a brush, right? I don't know, this, this, this isn't one of those like hard bristles ones because I didn't want to hurt myself because I was doing this. So um, this is a soft brush. You might use this to, I don't know, clean your car off a little bit, clean something in the garage. I don't know, nothing, nothing crazy, right? But can we all agree this is a brush designed for a purpose? Yeah, okay, exactly, right? So then we have, you know, this one right here, right? This is a brush. It's designed for, it's a brush too. It's just a different brush. It's designed for something specific that is your teeth, right? You want pearly whites? Brush them, okay? So that's what this is for right here. We all know what that is. And then there's this other brush, and see, this brush, it is designed for something. It even has the extra little thing. It is designed for something specific, okay? This is not a used brush. I'm just letting you know right now. But even though it's not used and it's brand new, the tag fell off, I promise. Uh, I'm still not gonna touch that part, okay? I just, the thought of it, okay? But what, what I'm saying here is that you could say, to make this, like I said, I wanna make this as simple as possible. You could say that this brush is holy. Why? It's set apart. It has a specific job. I would not use this to do this job. Okay. You're sitting there doing your chores, scrubbing away. And you're like, Oh, Colgate. No, not going to happen. Okay. Why? Because this is set apart for a specific purpose. That's holiness. You could say that this is holy. You could say that this is holy because holy just means set apart. We have to get the thought out of our mind that holy means anything else. Holy means to be set apart. And in being set apart, I'm only going to do what I'm supposed to do. My conduct follows my holiness. My conduct does not come before my holiness. This is why you cannot tell someone in the world to stop acting like they are in the world. They are in the world. They do not believe the same way that we say we believe. Therefore, they do not have the being set apart to change their conduct. So if I am holy, it means I'm set apart for a certain task. Just like I am set apart for a certain task. I am set apart 
for a certain task. That's what it means to be holy. I'm set apart for a certain thing. So to be holy means that I am following God and I'm set apart for his use. My conduct and my behavior will follow my being holy. Because I'm set apart, I do not engage in things that I should not. If I am a toilet brush, I will not engage in brushing teeth. Because I am set apart for a certain task. I have been purposed and designed for a certain thing. You and I have been designed for a certain thing. Therefore, I don't engage in things that are unbecoming of what I was designed to do. Right? My actions, my life, my words, my marriage, my calling, everything is set apart. And therefore, my conduct and my behavior will show that I am holy. Because I am set apart and I don't engage in things that are not for me. It means I'm determined to God and I'm determined to follow him and his kingdom. I will follow him regardless. Let me put it to you and bring it home a little bit. Those of you who are married. Let's say, let's say ladies. Ladies, where are you at? Let me hear you, ladies. <clears throat> let's say you just meet like Prince Charming. Like he's got the chin. He's got the jawline. He's got the nose. He's got those deep blue eyes. You are just like, oh, right? He walks in the room and just like butterflies, right? Right? You're like, oh my gosh. And he's like, baby, I love you. And you're like, oh my gosh, no way. It's amazing, right? You're all excited about it, right? You're pumped. You're like, oh my gosh, Prince Charming loves me. Right? And he's like, baby, I'm going to buy you a present every single day of the year. Right? This guy is fake, by the way, ladies. Okay? He does not exist. Okay? And every single day, you're going to come home into a new, fresh dozen roses on the table. Because I love you. Right? And you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Oh my gosh. How do I get so long? Right? You're like, you're excited. Right? You're pumped. And he says, and the night before you're about to get married, he says, baby, 364 days out of the year, I am yours. You will have a new present every day. You have new flowers every day. Don't forget it. And I will love you so good, right? But on one day out of the year, how about my birthday? Why not? I get to go see all my ex-girlfriends. And I'm going to love them. Like I said, I love you. I'm going to care for them like I care for you. I'm going to give them presents and flowers. Ladies, would you marry that guy? Heck no, techno. You ain't going to marry that dude. No, you're probably going to kick him in the shin and throw a brick at his face, right? Like you're not going to marry this guy. No way, men. Where you at, men? Let me hear you. Yes, yo. That's awesome. Right, so guys, let's say you just meet this lady and you're like, hubba hubba, come to bubba, right? You are like, you are just feeling it. You're like, yes. You've never seen anybody so pretty before in your life. You're like, oh my gosh, she's amazing, right? Like, oh, she's like, baby, I love you. And you're like, me? You love me? This is amazing. You're like, you're pumped. You're excited. And she says, baby, I'm yours 364 days out of the year. But on one day out of the year, how about your birthday, right? <laughs> so ladies do, I'm just kidding. Right, she's like, I'm gonna I'm I'm go see all my ex-boyfriends. And I'm gonna I'm go say hi to them and love on them and be with them. And you can't call me, you can't text me, you can't be jealous, right? Men, would you marry that girl? No. Heck no, man. You're gonna push her away. You probably throw a brick at her face too, right? Like, you are not gonna marry that girl. Yet for some reason, we think we can come to God and say, God, I'm going to live a holy life on Sunday nights and on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. I'm going to be in church. Man, I'm going to grab my Bible. I'm going to mark it up with a highlighter. Man, God, I'm going to, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to pray so hard on Sunday mornings. But, you know, on Monday, Tuesday, you know, Wednesday mornings, Thursdays, Fridays, especially Saturdays. You know, God, I'm just going to go live it up. We think that God's going to say yes to this? No, I'm holy. I'm, I'm set apart. Let me tell you right now, holiness is not going to cost you something. Holiness is going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you every area of your life. 
But we think we can get away with 364 days. No, we are not going to get away with anything. We are called to live a holy, a set apart life in its entirety, in its completeness and in its fullness, right? Again, you are the product of your thoughts. So where does this begin? It begins right here between the ears. What have I allowing to be dominating my thoughts? What have I been allowing to, to feed me? What have I been allowing in my mind that is now coming out in my actions? Again, healthy or unhealthy, the gym and a diet or an addiction, which one do you want? Whatever you think about, you will eventually have. Let's see another portion of scripture where Paul talks about thoughts. And this is really where we get into it. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse five, it says this, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing. Those are both things that happen in the mind. We're destroying speculations and lofty things raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I'm here to tell you right now, someone is going to be held captive. Either you will be held captive by your thoughts or you will take your thoughts to accountability. But someone is going to be imprisoned in this thing. You or your thoughts. Which one do you want to dominate? Do you want to say, no, I'm gonna allow my spirit in me that has been renewed by God to rise up and fight off these thoughts and take them to the obedience of Christ? Or am I just gonna be tossed and blown by every thought and every whimsical thing that I have that comes through my mind, every vain imagination that comes through my mind, and I'm just gonna entertain it. Someone's gonna be held captive here. I, I heard this um, quote one time uh, by Kenneth Hagin when I was in Bible college. And it says this, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. And he was talking about thoughts. And that's entirely true. You can't stop a thought from coming. As long as you are a human being with a beating heart, a thought is going to come into your mind that will be impure. That's going to be wrong. That's just the reality. Temptation will never stop chasing you down. That's the reality. However, I don't have to allow that thought or that temptation to start building a nest in my hair. I don't have to allow it to make home here. No, I control what I think. I allow myself to meditate on what I choose on. I don't allow my mind just free will, just to run wild and run rampant and go, yeah, cool, have fun. No, I need to take my thoughts captive, not entertain them. And the Bible says that our thoughts give birth to sinful actions. And so if I'm having sinful actions in my life, it's because I've entertained a thought and I got a nest going on in my head. It's making a home. It's getting comfortable. It's planting eggs, planting eggs. It's laying eggs, right? <laughs> See, I told you I'm not that smart, right? <clears throat> but the, the bird's planting eggs now. Plant, I said it again. The bird is laying eggs in my nest now. There we go, right? So we, we have this problem. We've accepted this thing. It's home. It's comfortable. It's moved in. It brought in 20 other birds with it. It's comfortable. No, I need to retrain my mind. I need to take my thoughts captive. It takes determination. This is not something you're going to wake up and go, wow, my mind is so pure today. No, it's not going to happen. You're going to wake up and go, I got to get at this again. I got to get at this again for the rest of your life. As long as there is a heart beating your chest, you're going to have to get at this thing. And then the words Paul uses here, taking every thought captive. It's not a one-time thing. It's a continual taking captive, continually taking captive, continually taking captive. I remember in Bible colleges, I got serious with this. I got verbal, okay? And I don't mean in a neg negative way. I literally started speaking to my mind 
out loud. I didn't care who I was with. I didn't care if people were around. If I had to say it under my breath, I would say it under my breath. But the moment I had a thought that I knew was wrong, that I knew was impure, that I knew was contrary to what his word is laying as a foundation for my life, I would literally say out loud, no, I don't think that way. I rebuke that. Over and over and over. And sometimes I felt like I wasn't even a Christian. The thoughts that would come into my mind. You can relate. I know you can. Don't pretend you can't. But with these thoughts would come and I, man, I just speak to it. No, that's not how I think. No way. Not me. And now to this day, I can't even tell you what those thoughts were. Because why? I retrained my mind. I don't think that way. Do I still have impure thoughts? Yes. Paul even said, not that I have achieved these things, but I press on. I'm nowhere near perfect, but I press on. I'm, I, Paul is calling us to a journey. Are you going to take your thoughts captive? Are you going to do this thing? Or are you going to be his enemy? Which one do you want? And he's laying out the choice and the option for us. Who do you want to be? But it takes determination. No, I don't think that way. I rebuke that. No, I don't. I, there's times I thought I was said it like 20 times in one, one minute. But I was serious. And I want to get at this. I want to change this. I don't like this behavior, so I need to change the root of the problem. I need to get at this thing. Right? I, I love this because we, we hear the word sin. You know, and, and sin is kind of done in, in ignorance. And so to, to say this, like we, we call people who aren't Christians yet, we call them to what, what we call a sinner's prayer. If you're a Christian, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's Lord, forgive me. I didn't know I was wrong. I need your help and I need your forgiveness. Sin is kind of done in, in ignorance. It's, oh, I didn't know I needed a savior. So God, I ask you to forgive me. And then that's one aspect of sin. We're going to come back to, to this next aspect in a minute. But we, we tell people you need to repent. Do we know what repent actually means? It means to change my mind. It means to literally take my focus and turn it around on something else. Literally, we tell people, I don't know if we know this or not, but from the very beginning, step number one as a Christian, repent. Change your mind. Change your perspective. It's the first thing we're supposed to do. But for some of us, it's the last thing that we ever go towards. We just start attacking our behavior and changing what we're doing. No, I need to change my mind. I need to change my thought processes here first. I need to change my perspective. Examples. We, we think that we're going to engage in something that's going to bring us joy. And the moment we step into it, we have nothing but sadness. Right? We, we jump into things thinking, oh, this is going to bring so much satisfaction. And all it does is bring shame. We engage in things because we think it's going to make us happy. When on the flip side, all we have is guilt. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You engage in things and instantly you go, why did I do that? Why did I, I you feel so guilty. You feel so ashamed. You feel so worthless. Like you are of no help to someone else. A, a couple years ago, I had a really close friend. Love him. You guys don't know this guy. Also, I'll tell you the story. I just won't mention his name. But he came to me. He's like, Steve, I need counseling. I was like, what's up, man? What, what, what do you need? He's like, man, I am addicted to pornography. I was like, okay. I was like, that's a battle that I fought. And I retrained my mind. And so I was able to help him. I was able to speak into his life. I was able to go there and say, man, I've been there. Okay, I know exactly what you're battling with. You gotta speak to it. You gotta, you gotta tell that thing. No, I don't think that way. No, I don't, I don't go there. And so what did we do? We did the Christian thing. We set rules. We set boundaries, right? That's what we did. I know it's funny, right? That's what we did. So he gave me his phone and he had an app on it and it would block certain things on whatever times we decided on. So while we were um, doing whatever, working or whatever it may be, uh, we would set a time on it. And so it was his phone, he was able to use it. 
But the moment five o'clock came around, his phone would basically become completely useless except for um, calling and texting. So his phone was like literally shut down. And so the only person who knew the password was me. Somehow, some way, desire arose. Little Johnny found a way inside the fence and he broke through and he was able to engage in that activity still. He was still able to watch. He was still able to do whatever he wanted. He could pull anything up he wanted. He was able to get around the rule, right? The rule didn't stop the desire. It just found other ways for him to engage in it. And he sat there and he came back to my office and we're sitting there, we're talking. And he said, man, I just don't know what to do. Like, I just feel so guilty when I do it. And I said, there you go. You think you need to change your perspective. You have not repented. You've asked God to forgive you, but you're running back, right back to it. You need to repent. You need to change your mind. And it's almost like he answered it for himself. And he realized, I do this. And the moment I do, I feel so much shame. It's not worth it. And so he knew I need to change my desire. I need to replace this desire with something that's healthy. I need to replace whatever's negative with what is positive. And I'm not trying to be a motivational speaker, but that's what he had to do. He had to replace what he, with the time that he would spend doing that with doing something else. He, for him, it was going to the gym. But he replaced the desire for something healthy. And it's like he answered it for himself. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Duh. The moment I do this, I feel horrible. So I'm not going to do this anymore because of the outcome that I'm getting. So I'm going to change my mind and my perspective that it doesn't bring me joy. It brings me shame. It doesn't bring me happiness. It brings me sadness. And he had to change his perspective. And in our last couple of meetings together of hanging out, we didn't have to talk about the issue anymore because it wasn't an issue anymore. He had worked it through. He had overcome the battle in his mind. He had pushed that out and, and he had gone into a new desire, a healthy desire by changing what he was allowing himself to think about. He told the birds, grab your nest and get out. He overcame the desire. That is why our rules did not work. That's why Paul says in Colossians 2, your rule will not work. Put a kid, put a kid in front of a cookie jar. I'm telling you right now, he's gonna grab it. I don't care how many rules you put. You can word it 10 different ways. Homeboy's going to be elbow deep in the cookie jar in five minutes. It's going to happen. A rule will not change anything. Let's say bringing this home in a personal way today. But let's use an analogy because I like analogies, right? Jesus spoke in parables, so I'll use analogies, whatever. So let's say you have like a yard and not just any, you have like the yard on your block. You know what I'm talking about? The person you hate next door, right? They got like the perfect grass. It literally looks like, a golf course, right? You're like, how in the world do you get your grass so perfect, right? And you love your grass. You are, you are that person, okay? Let's just imagine for just one second that it'll never happen, I know. But you are that person, okay? And you have the best yard, not just in the neighborhood. You, you are getting awards from the state on how good... No, you are getting awards from the president himself, okay? No, don't get mad about that, okay? Come on. You are getting awards for your yard and how perfect your grass is, Right? But there's an issue. No one knows about this. But in the middle of the yard, there's this giant weed. And nobody can see it because every day, every morning, you wake up and you come out to the yard with your little snips. And as lo- and little, I know, huh? It's a big weed. So you get down to the, as low as you can on this weed and you snip it, you grab it, and you throw it away. Right? You wake up the next morning, you're so excited. You're like, oh, I'm gonna go look at my beautiful yard I got a trophy for, right? All right, and you're all excited about it. And you go out there, you got your coffee and you're walking around. You're like, oh, this is beautiful. You look over at your yard and right in the middle of the yard, the weed is back. So you, oh, this weed, 
not in my house. This far you shall go and you shall not pass, right? And you cut the wheat again and you grab it and you throw it away. You do this for day after day after day after day after day after day after day. You are just running around continually cutting this one weed every single day, right? Because you think you're solving the problem. This is what a life of rules looks like. You constantly run around, you snip that, you snip that, and you snip that. The only problem is that with every cut, you're making the plant stronger because it's feeding that area more and more and more and more. I don't care if you dig down into the dirt a little bit and you snip it under the dirt, that weed is going to come back, right? When you're a teenager, you say, mom, dad, can I go outside? You're like, yeah, you gotta be home by 10 o'clock. You got a rule, right? When you're an adult, Hey, I'm going to go hang out tonight. It's Friday night. Yeah, I'm going to go out, but I can't go there. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm allowed to do this, but I can't do that. This is a life of rules. It does no good at conquering the problem. The weed is going to come back tomorrow and probably stronger. And eventually that thing will be the beanstalk that you cannot hide. It will be so prevalent and so real to everyone and you will have nothing but complete embarrassment the person with the trophies for the best yard and you've got the most hideous weed the strongest weed in the country growing because all you did was apply a rule this far you can go and no more this far you can go and no more this far you can go and no more we again we think we're the bull in the cage We've got a whole circus to go enjoy, but we're just sitting here setting rules and boundaries and setting a fence line and setting an electric fence line and setting boundaries. I can't go here this far and no more. This is the wrong tool. I need to get rid of the rule and I need to get a new tool. I need to get underneath where the problem really is. I need to dig down where that weed is. I need to get far under that root. I'm going to dig it up. And I might have a hole for a little bit, but that grass will grow back. I might have a, a moment of, of wounded. I might have a moment of like, man, this is terrible. I might, might not be getting any more trophies. But you know what? My grass is healthier. My soil is healthier. Because why? I, I went underneath where the problem really is. And I dealt with the problem rather than just saying this far and no more. No, I, I, I dug it up. I got serious about it. I want another trophy. I'm going to cut this thing down and I'm going to dig underneath the ground and I'm going to rip it out and hope that it dies in my hand as I throw it away. I want to get serious about getting rid of the sin in my life. I told you earlier, sin is kind of like ignorance. We do something kind of not realizing and we realize, oh my bad, like God, I'm sorry. Like I didn't, I didn't realize that I did that. I didn't realize that was wrong. And so God, I'm repenting. I'm turning from that and I'm changing my mind. But when we refuse to dig it up and we just accept the rule of cutting something and we refuse to, we refuse to dig it, we've no longer stepped into sin. We've stepped into an area I call iniquity where all of a sudden as a Christian, I accept sin. Or I, I have stepped into an area where I say, this is okay. This far you can go and no more. I'm going to press that line as much as I can. Because why? I find this acceptable. What sin is in ignorance, iniquity is in acceptance. So we as Christians, the moment we accept sin in our lives and refuse to dig it up, we have not stepped into sin. We've stepped into iniquity. And the problem with that is that our conduct will be unbecoming of a Christian. 
Our conduct will follow suit. We need to realize, no, I'm holy. I am created. I am set apart. And therefore, I need to tend to the ground of my heart. I need to look at my mind. I need to rethink how I think. Worship me if you could join me up here. And I'm going to dig down into the soil and I'm going to change what my outcome is. I don't want to sit here and just run around and plant rules all day. No, I want to dig up the issue and I want it gone. I don't want to sit here and struggle again and again and again with the same thing. I need to get serious about it and dig it up and say, I'm done with this, man. For too long, we just sit there and we accept the sin and we get out of sin and into iniquity. And the Bible says your iniquity has cast you away from God. My iniquity does that. Why? Because the moment I accept it, all of a sudden I try finding ways that it's okay. I try to find ways that, hey, this is going to benefit me. This is going to bless me. This is going to be okay. I'm going to be all right because this is going to make me happy. And it does nothing but eat at your heart. It eats at your mind. It eats at your emotions. It eats at the way you treat your spouse. It eats at the way we treat our children. And all of a sudden, I no longer have a healthy home because I've refused to dig it up. I'm going to get down to the root of the problem and I'm going to get face to face with it and say, no, I don't think this way anymore. I rebuke that. And get verbal and get serious and get after it because I want a life that is following Jesus, a life that is holy. Because I am this, I will not engage in this. Because I am this, I will not engage in this. I am holy now. I'm set apart. And that's our call as Christians, to live a holy life, to be set apart. And in doing so, my conduct will show that I really am following him. So my question for all of us today I want to be real and I want to be honest. I don't want to play church. I don't want some religion. I want Jesus. Do I have iniquity in my life? That's the question. I told you this would be heavy. Do I have iniquity in my heart? Have I taken an area of my life and I just accept it? Do I just, that's all right. I guess I'm just going to deal with this forever. No. The best part is that you can't do it by yourself. You need the Holy Spirit. You need him to help you. We need to welcome him into our hearts, into our minds and say, God, like we just sang, and we're about to sing, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Hey, see, this song is not talking about the Holy Spirit. You're welcome in this building. He knows that. It says we're two or three are gathered. There he is in their midst. He knows he's welcome here. But is he welcome here? Is he, is he welcome here? Have I opened myself up enough to him so that I could see the weed and the power of the root that's been growing into my heart? Have have I welcomed him into my soil? Have I welcomed him into my thoughts to say, God, I'm gonna get real with this. It's time, God, bring your shovel. We're gonna do this thing. That's my question today. I'm not trying to be harsh. Look, as much as I say this, know this, that God loves you more than anything in this world. There's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you because there's nothing you did to make him start loving you. You are loved, plain and period, done, over. So don't think that God is mad at you, but God does want to bring a shovel in and say, it's time to do some work. It's time to get after this thing. It's my question today. First off, I just want to ask if you're in this room, with every head bowed, every eye closed, you're in this room, you say, you know what? I have not yet committed my life to Jesus and that's what I need to do. I need to give my heart to him. I need to repent. I need to change my mind. I need to change my thoughts. I need to change my life. And it comes when I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me. If there's anybody in this room and you have yet to make that commitment, 
Would you do me a favor and you're saying, yes, I want to. Would you just do me a favor and raise your hand real fast, please? Just so I can see. Thank you for that hand back there. Thank you. Anybody else? I'll give it another minute. This is the most important decision you'll ever make. Anybody else in this room? That's awesome. The second thing I'm gonna ask us this morning, with head bowed and eyes still closed, you're in this room and for this moment, I myself, I'm gonna close my eyes, I'm gonna bow my head as well because I want this to be a moment between you and God before we sing. So with my head, my eyes closed, nobody in this room is looking around and you say, you know what? I've accepted something. I've accepted iniquity. I've accepted sin into my life and it's no longer enough to just cut the plant. I need to uproot it. And you're in this room today You say, yep, there's a couple areas in my life I need to dig up. If that's you, would you do me a favor and just raise your hand, please? Again, nobody, even myself, is looking around. Thank you, Jesus. Don't be shy. Don't be intimidated. In an act of faith, just raise your hand and say, God, that's me. And it's time to dig it up. Here's what I'm gonna do. If everyone could repeat this prayer after me, we're gonna pray with the one who decided to make their life right with Jesus today, and we're gonna pray for the rest of us as well. So if everyone can just repeat this after me, say, Father, I'm giving my life to you. I ask you to forgive me. Jesus, I believe you are the son of God and I accept you into my life as my king and my savior. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna live my life for you. But not only that, God, it's time I change out the tool. I'm putting the clippers away and I need a shovel. I need to do some work on my ground. I need to dig up the sin that I've allowed to grow. Not just for my benefit, but for the benefit of the life you've called me to live because I'm set apart. I'm set apart for your work. I'm set apart for your purposes. So Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you dig up and help me dig up the sin I've been trying to hide. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to close today with just a moment of worship where we say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Just a time of reflection, a time where we just say, okay, yeah, I gotta I got work on something. I gotta, I gotta do this. It'll just be a couple more minutes and we're not going late technically, so it's awesome. But would you, would you stand with us today as we close in song and we'll get out of here in just a moment.